Welcome to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. In our sermon series, Obedient, we are looking at why being rooted in Christ brings about the blessing of fruitful living. Today's speaker is Senior Minister Didi Bacon. Good morning. I am so thrilled that you are here today. Some of you may have come on boats, but we're here. So this week, uh, Tim Peace and I were in conversation. We were in my office, and we were in conversation regarding today's message, bouncing ideas back and forth, sharing insights. Professor Peace was doing his thing. And uh, as he was talking, he said something to me that took my, my, my mind down this crazy rabbit trail, if you'd like, this crazy place. Does that happen to you? I mean, you're talking to someone, you're thinking, and all of a sudden, uh, that person says something, and all of a sudden, you're like, boop, 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 and you start thinking about some crazy thing, have some interesting memory. Does that happen to you? Please? No? All right. All right. So let me tell you what it was. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to, I'm going to kind of work backwards. I'm going to tell you where I went and then we'll work backwards to the conversation we were having. So where I went was to this thought, a memory. A memory as a child growing up in Zimbabwe, Africa, a memory of party lines, phones. How many of you remember party lines? All right, we do, right? So uh, a party line, those of you that have no clue what a party line is, you think it has to do with you know, um, what the Republicans or what the Democrats are, are pushing out. No, that's not it. Party line had to do with phones where you had a number of residences that used the same phone line. And so you would have to listen to your distinctive ring because each address, each house would have its own distinctive ring. And I can't remember, it was like three longs and a short, two shorts and a long. But you had to learn your own distinctive ring because if the phone rang, it may not be for you. It could be for one of the other residences on the party line. Having a party line, you really got to know your neighbors because how many times you pick up the phone and be like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, Janet. Oh, is that your grandma? No, uh, no, you know, you would pick up and you would hear them talk and you have to apologize and put it down. Now, I personally never had a party line, um, but I experienced the party line experience because I used to go and stay with my friends who lived out on the farm. And farms in Zimbabwe, most of them would have the party lines. And I, I could always be, I was always amused. Like, the phone's ringing and you have to be like, oh, wait, that's not our ring. That's not for us. What we did have, and this may be something that all of us uh, still kind of connects with, what we did have was we used to have a phone line with many phones in the same house. How many of you remember that? Right, a phone line, you had many houses. And so you had to be careful because someone on the same ha- in your same household could pick up the phone and listen in. How many of you remember dad or mom getting on the phone line when you've had your two-hour conversation with the girlfriend or the boyfriend? Hey, J- Didi, you've been talking for an hour and a half now. You need to get off. I'm so embarrassed. Okay. All right, mom, sorry. I'm sorry. I've got to go. Bye-bye. Remember that? Remember doing that? You also had to watch out because if you had siblings like little sisters who like to listen in and you had to know the distinctive click, you know, when you're talking, you hear click, Vanessa, is that you? Or you could hear the breathing or the hee 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 when they thought something was funny because they weren't very smart. Um, you know, you had to be careful with that. Now, I confess 
I did try to listen in to conversations. I know it's a surprise because I was such an angelic child, but I did have to listen. And when you did, it was kind of fun because you'd be like real quiet and you could hear, and then you could hear the back and forth. You could hear the person talking and you could hear the person responding. So if you wanted to snoop, that allowed you to do that with, obviously within the same household. Today, we don't do that as much. Why? Because we have cell phones. And if you want to listen into a conversation of two people on a cell phone, it's called wiretapping or uh, whatever surveillance, and it's illegal. And if you do that, you're going to get into big trouble unless you work for the FBI and you have all the you know, stuff that they can do. You can't do that. And so what you have to do is you have to consider, if you want to listen into someone talking, you have to get into the skill of being able to decipher what going on based on what that one person is saying. And, and actually, we get pretty good at it, right? I mean, I can tell you, I pretty much can guess who my wife's talking to when I hear her on the phone. And I can guess, you know, who she's talking to, what she's talking about, whether it's a personal or professional relationship, whether it's one of her friends, whether it's one of the kids. I can figure it out based on just listening to her tone, the, the, the subject material, what they're talking about, so on and so forth. And you're like, okay. So now we come to what Tim Peace and I were talking about in my office that brought me to all the way to this memory of party lines. Tim and I were talking about this passage of Scripture that we're going to be going into today. It's uh, 1 Timothy. And Tim was saying, you know, what we need to realize is that reading Scripture and reading particularly this 1 Timothy, it's like listening in on the Apostle Paul having a cell phone conversation with this guy he calls his son in the faith, listening in to him have a conversation with him. We don't get Timothy's response. We don't get... Timothy's side of the conversation, but we can do is we can figure out what's going on by simply listening and paying attention to what Paul says. In fact, that's, that's many ways what we have in all the, the New Testament scriptures that we, we receive, actually all scripture. We're listening on one side, and so we have to acquire the skill of figuring out what, they have to, what they're saying and what they're talking about by paying attention and listening to what's said and using the resources we have to, to figure out what is being communicated and then learning, okay, what's communicated, how does it apply to me? And so Paul is writing to Timothy. And when we read First Timothy, when you think about, okay, well, now we can figure out who this Timothy guy is and we can figure out what he's talking about and we can figure out the situation that Timothy's in and the location where Timothy's at and the things that he's being called to do. And then we can realize, wait a minute, also the way they did communications back then, this letter to Timothy, while it's personal, it was also public. That it was written to a man that was in leadership at a church, and because he was in leadership of the church, it's likely that he would have communicated this publicly to the church he was serving. And so in many ways, not only is there instruction for Timothy, a Jesus follower, which we can learn from, but also there's instruction to the church on how to live faithfully in Christ which we too can then receive as God's word for us to live faithfully in Christ in these days and these times. So let's talk about Timothy. Let's get through this. We're going to give our attention to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. But in order to understand chapter 2, let's just do a quick recap of chapter 1. What's going on? Because chapter 1 is before chapter 2. I know, it's amazing how that works, right? And uh, what's said in chapter 1 really helps us get into what we're going to talk about in chapter 2. 
Figures. All right. So chapter 1 tells us that Paul's writing to Timothy, a man he calls son of his faith. We first meet Timothy, if you have uh, familiarity with the book of Acts in chapter 16. You can look that up on your own. I encourage you to do that. Timothy was a disciple of Jesus, we're told, from the town, the city of Lystra. Timothy was the son of a Jewish mom and a Greek father. His mother and grandma, mother and grandmother, we, we can find out, particularly we find out in 2 Timothy, were his major spiritual influences, and then there was Paul. Paul met Timothy on one of his missionary journeys, took him under his wing into his group of associates. Paul mentored Timothy to be one of his, you would say, leadership team, one of his team, mission team that would go about fulfilling the apostolic ministry that Paul was given to establish the church amongst the non-Jews, the Gentiles. And Timothy is receiving this letter, what we call 1 Timothy, because he's on assignment. He's on assignment to get the church in Ephesus functioning healthily. Now, if you read again in the book of Acts, you'll find out a little bit about this church in Ephesus. Chapter 19 you find the story tell about Paul going into Ephesus and starting a church there. And if you do some historical research, ancient history digging, you'll discover that Ephesus was a major city in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It was a port city. It was a port city that was losing its port because the harbor was silting up. In fact, if you go to Ephesus today, you're like, well, this is not even on the coast. It's like miles away. Well, that's because the harbor silted all the way up, and it's all land now. And even in Paul's day, it was a dangerous business to get into the port of Ephesus. You had to navigate through all the, 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 the channels there because it was silting up, and in those days, they didn't have those major dredgers we can do right now. Ephesus was a port city sitting in a very important place in terms of travel, in terms of byways and highways. And so it was a, a major city also because it was a center of worship for the goddess Artemis, the Greek goddess Diana. The city was dominated by the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Temple was, was, was the major piece. People came to, to Ephesus to worship Artemis. Now, with the temple worship of Artemis came all the other side industries that typically went along with such things. So you had silversmiths there who would make silver idols for Artemis. You had industry that was created by the worship of, of, of Artemis. And so you had a lot of occultic manufacture of scrolls and trinkets. You had a lot of things that we would say are kind of worship of, of strange gods and sorcery and magic and all that dark stuff that we, we kind of may freak you out a bit. You know, I think about our, uh, Ephesus, and I'm reminded of my, my trip to uh, Savannah, Georgia. And, and it's not meant to be offensive, but I went to Savannah, Georgia. It's a beautiful city. It's a port city. But there are sections of Savannah, Georgia that are just like all these shops that are dedicated to the occult that are dedicated to black magic and dedicated to all that crazy stuff. And, and to be honest with you, a certain section of, of Savannah, Georgia, this kind of made my skin crawl a little bit. It's kind of freaky. And I think about that, and I think that's probably what Ephesus was like. Book of Acts tells us that Paul went there, and he had a very fruitful ministry, maybe because the darker the dark, the brighter the light. And he spent over two years, the book of Acts tells us, 
establishing a church. He first began in the synagogue where the Jews worship, and then after three months, they got mad at him and kicked him out. So he went next door to a, a, a place where he started interacting with Gentiles. And he had a very, very powerful and fruitful ministry. In fact, we're told some amazing things happened while Paul was in Ephesus, some miracles. And, and God did some quite amazing stuff through Paul to shine the light of Christ in that place. You know, if you ever want to do a case study of a church in the first century from birth to, to growing up to some maturity, it would be Ephesus. Why? Because we got a lot of information about the story of Ephesus. You've got the story of its birth in Acts 19. In Acts chapter 20, we're told that Paul leaves Ephesus, he does some more missionary work, and then he's making his way back to Jerusalem, and he stops by a port city not too far from Ephesus, and he sends for the Ephesian elders... And he asks them to come, and he gives them account and, and tells them what's going on, and he, and he gives them some instruction that he, he wants them to carry on at the church. And you get some insight as to the things that were going on in Ephesus and the things that were to happen in Ephesus. And he warns them primarily, he says, watch out for false teachers who bring about false teachings. And he says, in fact, even amongst you elder dudes, some of you are going to be bad shepherds. Then you have what we call the letter to the Ephesians. And the letter to Ephesians is a letter that Paul writes, and it's dedicated to Ephesus. Some argue that perhaps it wasn't necessarily dedicated to Ephesus. If you look in your Bible, you might see a footnote that says, early manuscripts do not have to Ephesus, to the Ephesians. And so the thought is perhaps that that was added later, but the, the message was, was, was written so that you know, Paul would give instruction. The thought is maybe it was written as a circuit letter to be passed from, from city to city in Asia Minor, all giving instruction to churches, churches that were predominantly non-Jewish, to say to them, hey, you belong. Because you're, you're a Gentile, you have as much a legitimate claim to be part of the family of God through faith in Jesus. And because you belong in, as a member of the, the family of God because of your faith in Jesus, Gentiles and Jews, this is how you're to live. That's a, that's a broad stroke message of what we find in Ephesus. And again, high emphasis on making sure that you live by the truth. You don't get suckered in by false teachings and false teachers. And so while Ephesians may not have been directly written to the city of Ephesus, it landed there and the instruction was for those Christians. It was for them so that they could live out faithfully to God. And then we got this letter, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy perhaps, written to Timothy, a representative of Paul, who's there to get things sorted out and straightened up in this church. And so you get more insight as to what was going on in the church in Ephesus. Tradition says that the Apostle John, the last apostle to live, eventually made his residence to the later part of his life in Ephesus, the Apostle John is put into exile on the Isle of Patmos. From the Isle of Patmos, he writes the last book of our Bible called Revelation. In the book of Revelation, what do you find? You find Jesus, through the revelation given to John, giving a message to who? One of the churches given a message to is the church in Ephesus. And it's an interesting thing. Just a little side note here. One of the things that the, thing that the church of Ephesus is commended on is the thing that you see repeatedly given to them to remind them to watch out for false teachers and false teachings. And Jesus, in Revelation, says to the church of Ephesus, well done, guys. You have stuck true to sound doctrine. Well done. You have resisted 
false teachings and false teachers. Even you've been in existence for 40 plus years, you have been faithful to that. But this is what you are lacking right now. Remember what the chastisement to the church in Ephesus is? You've forgotten your first love. The purpose of having sound doctrine is that you might fulfill God's will, and that is to take love to your neighbor, to take the gospel to all people. Return to your first love is what the message you get from Revelation regarding the people of Ephesus. And so if you want to know about a church in first century, pick Ephesus. All right, let's get back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus be his representative in settling something straight at the church. Remember that this letter was written to him, but it was also written to the people of the church. In other words, Timothy would have read this letter out loud to the congregation whenever they gathered together, whether they had their private meetings, home group meetings, he would read this letter out as instruction for them. First chapter is about detailing Paul's call as an apostle. He says, uh, I want to remind everyone about my calling from God to be an apostle, to be an authority in teaching you what it means to live by faith in Christ. He then authorizes Timothy, he affirms Timothy's calling as his man to represent him in establishing the things that need to go on in the church. And then he gives a general scope as to what he wants Timothy to do. Tell certain people to stop teaching false doctrine. Okay, and so now we get into chapter 2. And Paul gets into the practices of the church regarding certain issues that he's heard about, specifically addressing issues that this church is dealing with, but also now providing us who are now living at this time in this age, providing us principles that we too can, can apply to our life as Christians. Let's follow along as he says, chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he says, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. If you're familiar with the story, in chapter 19, we're told that this church had some trouble with the authorities. First, they, they had a little run-in with the Jewish leadership in the synagogue, then we find out that because of the influence of Christianity, all of a sudden people were giving up their magic scrolls and burning up their, their parchments that had spell casting and all that stuff. They were turning away from the occult. They were getting rid of their silver idols. And so the silver union, the powerful silver union of that town got not happy because they were losing profit. They caused up trouble for the church, created a riot, had church leaders pulled before the magistrates and were wanting to, to beat them up to death. And then you're told that the city magistrates, the city authorities step in, get everything quiet and calm and, and get everyone home to, their, to do, go about their business. So it doesn't surprise me that the first thing Paul says is, hey, let's remember that we're to dedicate ourselves to pursuing peace through prayer and the various forms of praying together as a church. Our purpose is to give ourselves to rely on God's power and to remember God's servants, and this is common Paul teaching, God's servants, those who are kings and authority, because those servants, their purpose is to protect the innocent, punish the evildoer, and provide an environment for those who live under their service, provide an environment for them to flourish. 
And so the first thing Paul says is, hey, remember, we're called to rely on God in the pursuit of this ministry. And in this peaceful environment, in this environment where we have no disturbances, that's what peaceful means, and we have no distractions, that's what, that's what it means to live a quiet life, the church then can pursue godliness and holiness. In other words, the church can focus on the life that God has called us to do. As a church, dedicate yourself to engaging in activities that beseech the power of God to bring about peace so that you can pursue what God has called the church to do. And now he gives to us what God wants from the church. He says, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For those of you that may... Just, just circle that all people. <laughs> when he says all, he means all. I'll just leave it at that. For there is, no, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is now being witnessed to at the proper time. And for this purpose, he gets personal here, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Ever wonder what the will of God is? Well, Paul reveals to Timothy from the Holy Spirit, God wants, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. This is the why for the church. Why do we exist? Why do we do what we do? The purpose of the church as a body is that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And the purpose of the church collective translates to the purpose of the individuals within the church. And so let me summarize what we have so far. Jesus' followers as a church are called to focus on God through prayer so that living in peace, we can do our part in God's will to bring all people, there are no qualifiers, no biases, no discriminations, all people to a place of salvation, which means bringing them to a place where they make a faith decision to be made right with God through Jesus Christ and in knowledge of the truth, which means that they are living right with God in that truth. And now we come to a therefore. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore in your Bibles, understand that this is what it basically means. It means based on everything just explained, now I'm going to get into some stuff. It means now that you get this, it means we're going to get into your world, we're going to get into where you live and how you operate in applying and bringing to life what I've just explained to you. And so the, therefore to these Christians in Ephesus that Timothy was working with, he's going to get into some specific things that relate to them, but it doesn't mean then, because it does, it's related to them specifically in their time and their culture, doesn't mean that they don't relate to us. There's a truth there that applies to first century Christians living in Ephesus, but there are also these truths that can be extracted and applied to us in 2018 Christians living in, US, in the USA, meeting at the Mount Carmel Christian Church. And so let's open our hearts and our minds. It says this. It says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Also, I also want the women, women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, 
appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, I understand in that culture, the public gatherings would involve the fact that men would sit on one side and women would sit on another. So it's not, in a, not weird for Paul to, to kind of address the members of the congregation in this way, in their different segments. And so we find him addressing first the men. He says, hey, men of the Ephesian church, now that you know the purposes of God, he wants all people to come to, 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 to salvation and a knowledge of the truth. Now that you know that, give yourself to pursuing that by dedicating yourself to prayer, engaging in spiritual activities in which you are forced to rely on the power of God in you and living in accordance to his will and his word. He says, don't give yourselves to aggressive argumentativeness. That's my word right there, but it's a translation of what he's saying. Don't get into power conversations and, and political maneuvering. Now, I think this is pretty amazing because I, I read this and I'm like, wow, this hits home for us guys so many times. Me, I'm an aggressive person. If I want, want to get what I want to get, then I'm going to get energized. I'm going to get focused. I'm going to call my resources in. I'm going to speak to people and persuade people. I'm going to politic. And I wonder sometimes as we as a men, as a church, as we're trying to pursue the purposes of God, we, we sometimes lean into that and not lean into what Paul says, the power of God, submitting to his will and his word. Not to say that God can't use what God has given us, our aggressiveness, our, our, our resources, our, our power, but we can't rely on that to push forward the work of the church. The church is not going to be moved forward by political representation in Washington or Columbus or Batavia. The church is not going to be pushed forward, men, by political aff affiliation. The work of God is not done at the election booth. The work of God is done first by being obedient to God's call to pray and to rely on Him to transform us in our day-to-day -day walk which then transforms everything else. Now he addresses the ladies. Now remember, he's talking to Ephesian ladies, the ladies of the city of the goddess Artemis, who was a female goddess whose power came from fertility and sexuality. Paul tells these ladies, hey, as a church, ladies, put your efforts in being faithful to God's will, and he says, being characterized by good works that comes from the transformation of God's spirit in your life, so that you can bring people to salvation and the knowledge of the truth. Put your efforts and focus your character of godliness as the means in which you're going to be faithful to the calling to the purpose of God in your life. Be like Jesus. And don't put your, your, your powers, don't put your, your sense of influence on how you look or your style. Or as one of the seven dwarfs said in Snow White, your wicked wiles. Remember that? Anyway. It's the same message as to the man. It's just hitting the place where these women were. They came from a city where a woman's wicked wiles were considered her best asset, the goddess of Artemis. Sexuality, how you look, was the power in which the, the goddess was able to exert on the world. Well, women, don't go to that way. It's not saying you, you can't look not good and dress nice and have nice things. It's saying don't put your desire to please God in that but instead be characterized, dress in good works that come from being a godly woman. You see, 
The message is the same to both men and women in this situation. As the church, when we join in God in his great work, we give ourselves to grow in our love for God and our dependence on the Holy Spirit that replaces our love for ourselves and our dependence on our own efforts. Now, let me share with you a story that brings us to life. Recently, Pastor Ronnie Floyd told a moving story of a missionary named Howard Borden. He said this on Fox News. In the early 1900s, 16-year-old William Whiting Borden graduated from the Hill School of Potsdam, Pennsylvania, prestigious boarding school known for sending its alumni to Princeton University. He was the heir of the Borden family mining fortune and had a clear path to wealth and success set before him. But before Borden began his Ivy League education in Yale, his parents sent him on a year-long trip around the world as a graduation present. Isn't that a nice graduation present? Earlier in his life, Borden had come to Christ, and while he was traveling the world, something happened that no one expected. It's a, he's, he was moved by the spiritual and physical needs of people around the world. Borden wrote in a letter to his parents, and he informed them that he wanted to spend his life as a missionary. One of his friends remarked that becoming a missionary would be tantamount to throwing one's life away. Upon his return, Borden went to Yale and graduated. Then he studied and graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary. When his ministry preparation was completed, he boarded on a ship to Asia and to, to serve amongst the Muslims in China's Gansu province. Along the way, he stopped in at Cairo, Egypt, to learn Arabic and to study Islam. In Egypt, Borden contracted spinal meningitis. Less than a month later, he was dead. He was only 25 years old. Borden had walked away from his fortune to take the gospel of Jesus to the nations of the world. Most regarded his death as a tragedy. However, God took that tragedy and did something far greater than he could ever do himself, that is Borden. When young men and women read Borden's story in the newspapers of America, it inspired them to leave all they had and give their lives to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus. Borden's life was a spark that set a fire of missionary fervor that became a great champion of the gospel around the world. It's rumored that at key points in his life, Borden wrote a series of phrases in his Bible. While he struggled with his desire to become a missionary against his father's heavy disapproval, he wrote, no reserves. Toward the end of his time in Yale, where he had started a Bible study attended by three-quarters of the school's student population. Can you imagine that today? Anyway, he wrote, no retreats. And as he lay dying of spinal meningitis in Cairo, he wrote, no regrets. See, God is calling each of us who have dedicated our lives to Jesus, he's calling each of us to be part of his great work. It's a life purpose of eternal consequence that is activated in the day-to-day -day of life. Every morning when you wake up to enter another day, as a Jesus-following man or a Jesus-following woman, as a member of a Jesus-following church, God says, what I want is for all people to come to salvation and to a knowledge of the truth, and I would like for you to join me in that. You're a part of the family, and this is your family chore. Every day. And the question is, will you accept that? What will be your RSVP in your day-to-day -to, -day to God's invitation? Will you say yes? And realize when you say yes, it's saying yes to the place you live. The place that God has assigned you. 
the place where your feet are. To the Ephesian men, it was choosing to pray, relying on God instead of choosing to achieve the calling God had placed in their lives by our aggressive argumentation or power politics. To the Ephesian women, it's choosing to rely on being submissive to Jesus and the character of love and not relying on makeup, hairstyles, and power dressing. To Howard Borden, it was pursuing missionary work in Asia. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. I love, love, love the Bible picture for living as taking a walk. Life is a series of steps. It's a journey. It's one foot in front of the other in our choices and our habits and our attitudes. What we do on a daily and repeated basis adds up to the journey of our life. The things that we do repeatedly over the course of time, those small things, is walking. And the question is, are you walking somewhere you want to go with intention or are you walking somewhere where you really don't want to go? How do I know? Well, just start adding up the steps and saying, where's the direction going? Now, as a follower of Jesus, as a person who has dedicated their life to Jesus and calls Him Lord and Savior, Lord means you're my number one, Jesus calls us to walk to Him, to walk to Him, which means that each step needs to be made in obedience to the calling we've received in that step. Don't buy into the false teaching that says finding the will of God is, is like finding the, the, the great, great eye-opening insight and, and that's what I'll do. It's, no, that's not how it works. It's not finding the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's deciding to be faithful in each step. And as each step is added up in obedience to God's calling your life, doing what you're called to do as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a husband of, God, of Christ, as a, as a wife who's, who's dedicated to Christ, as a mother, as a father, as an employee, whether it's a, a CEO, or whether it's a, a person who's sweeping the streets, whether it's a student, whether it's wherever you are in life, being faithful in that moment and adding those steps of obedience where God has placed you to be is what God is calling you to do. And as you do that, you begin to walk in His will. And you become able to be useful to Him to bring about the purpose that He has in life. That is to be one who joins Him in bringing salvation to all people and a knowledge of the truth. If you want to know God's will for your life, then be obedient in the steps of life by being faithful to Jesus where you are, accessing the resources of God, presence of the Spirit of God in your life, prayer, fellowship, learning and living Scripture, step by step. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Would you please stand? We're going to pray together. In standing, I'm going to ask our uh, members of our prayer team to come forward to be present. But our time together is going to be dedicated in calling on God in faithfulness to the Scripture. If you have a prayer need, you come forward and share it with one of these guys. 
on the lady over there. You can share with them if you have a decision to make. Be a Jesus follower. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time we can share. And thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Scripture. And thank you, Lord, for the information that we have on the church in Ephesus. Thank you, Lord, that you call each of us to join you in this work. Knowing your will is, is, is so clarifying. You want all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And, Lord, you work through each one of us in the place that we live. Each one of us interact with people, all people if you want, different people. And in that place, we have our assignment from you. I pray that you would help us to be faithful. Help us to recognize that our calling is to be faithful in each step, each daily commitment to pursue your will and to live out your word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a clarity on understanding where we're walking, evaluating our day-to-day habits, the steps we're making. Many times we say we want to have life and salvation. We say we want to be used by you, but our day-to-day habits, our day-to-day activities, the things that we do on a regular basis, our steps, they don't correspond to that which we say. Pray that you would help us to have a harmony by your Spirit to understand that where you've placed us, you've called us to be obedient and to be faithful And that for us to live in each moment, in each day, as you add those steps to an amazing journey of faith. Help us see that and live by that and be at peace in that and find joy in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can interact with us online at our website, www.mtcarmelchurch.org. Also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.